Welcome to the Farming Basics Podcast with Olivia Fuller. We'll have sustainable farming tips from growers across the state and extension specialists at Auburn University. Welcome back. It's your host, Olivia Fuller, and your co-host, Jacob Kelly. We're here today with Dr. Cassie Connor. She is an extension specialist in plant pathology, and she also runs our plant diagnostics lab here on campus. Thank you so much for joining us, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the diagnostics lab you run. Are there others like it? Is, is this unique to Auburn? At our lab in, well, in Alabama in particular, we have two different diagnostic labs. We have one on campus, the Auburn lab, and then we have another satellite lab in Birmingham at the Botanical Gardens. So there's usually a um, land-grant affiliated diagnostic lab in each state. Um, I think there's one or two states that don't have one. They have their own State Department of Ag plant pathology lab. So at our lab, what we do is um, we do, we accept samples for disease diagnosis, for insect identification, and for plant ID, and for nematode analysis. So when you say disease samples, um, is this like people sending in plant tissue? And what, what types of things are you seeing the most of in your lab? Yeah, so we usually ask for whole plants if we can get them. Um, unless we know the disease is limited to a specific part of the plant. But yeah, we get usually whole plants and then we identify what's causing the problem in the plant and tell the homeowner or submitter how to fix it or how to prevent it. In the and future. you said homeowners, is it typically, is that who's sending the majority of the samples? Not really, actually. So we do uh, samples for commercial growers. We do them for um, greenhouses, row crop producers. Um, we do them for the State Department of Ag. We do them for homeowners. We do them for agricultural consultants. Um, we even do some samples for federal government. And so it's basically just diseases, though, that you're looking for. And if somebody has a disease, they're going to be sending it or should be sending it to your lab. Yes, you want to ID the disease that's causing the problem so that you can figure out how to fix it or prevent it. Tell us a little bit about the diagnostic process. How does the lab function? And uh, what happens as soon as y'all get um, a sample in to your lab? What happens from there? We log all of our samples in so that we can keep track of them. And then generally I look at every plant sample uh, and decide what I think needs to happen to it. We can send samples off if we think it's just a nutritional problem. We can send those off to the soil testing lab uh, and get a confirmation on that. Um, and then I look for specific pathogens to test for. And I will have one of my technicians actually run the tests and give the results back to me. Is that how it flows in Birmingham as well? Yes. Why, is, why are there two separate? Why do you have a satellite? Option. So the lab in Birmingham is set up just to do the Birmingham and the greater Birmingham area, the counties around Birmingham, just because they have such a high population. But they're running the same test that you're running in your lab, essentially? Not all the same tests. We have a lot more capability in our lab, um, but they can do general diagnosis and insect identification. So if you were to send your sample and you're not in Jefferson County, you would send it to you here in Auburn? You can, although Jim Jacoby is the diagnostician in Birmingham, and if he gets a sample that he can't process, he can send it to me also. What is the busiest time of the year in the lab? The summer. 
<laughs> yeah, you when can it's hot down. outside. Yeah. yeah, but we're we're generally we have samples coming in year round. So busiest time be, than the season being summer. Has there been a, a busier year? Is it usually the wet and rainy season? Yep, usually wet and rainy years. We get a lot more diseases, um, but. Since I started in 2012, we've been receiving more samples every year. We used to only get about 1,500, and now we're up above 10,000 samples. Year. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so you look at every single one of those samples yes. and make a decision. And I write on every single one of those forms. Is that just because the word's getting out now that y'all exist, and that's like proper steps to go through before you start spraying fun fungicides? So a lot of it is research-based samples. Um, we have a lot more capabilities than other labs do, so we can offer more services. Can you give us an example of what one of those might be? Um, so we can do molecular tests to ID plant pathogens, which a lot of diagnostic labs don't have capability to do which helps out when you're doing surveys looking for a specific pathogen. I get this question a lot, and I had to learn how to do it myself, but how do we properly collect a sample and then send it in? Because this can be messed up pretty easily, and if you get a bad sample, you can't do anything with it, right? Especially by you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so it depends on what type, what symptoms you're having and what part of the plant it is. So if you obviously have leaf spots, um, you can just collect about 20 leaves and put them in a bag and send them in. Um, but if it's something like branch dieback, we have to have the whole branch. Um, if it's a wilting of a plant, we have to have the whole plant because a lot of the times you see symptoms on the top part of the plant and it's actually the roots that are having a problem. Um, so a couple of things about sending samples in is to never put a wet paper towel or a dry paper towel in with your sample because that just creates rot when it's in transit. Totally done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just put it into a sturdy container so that it doesn't get beat up in the mail. Um, if you do have soil with your sample, you need to keep that contained somehow because if your box gets tumbled, you don't want the soil getting spread all over the plant. What about the freshness? How, how many days after taking the sample does it need to get to you? I would prefer everybody to overnight everything to me, <laughs> but that doesn't usually happen. Some things can dry down a little bit and you can still see them, but if it's in a state of decay where it's gonna start rotting, um, once the whole plant rots, you're not gonna be able to find the pathogens. So as quickly as possible. Alabama Ag Credit is a proud sponsor of the Farming Basics podcast. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and lands to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. What about like the tissue analysis of that if you were getting the nutrients? Are you specifically looking at diseases? We specifically look at the diseases, but if we suspect that there is a nutritional problem, we will send the sample over to the soil testing lab and have them do a nutrient analysis. But there's also different guidelines for collecting uh, nutrient analysis samples. So they prefer that soil never touch the leaf tissue 
because that can contaminate the samples. Uh, and it depends on what crop it is. Sometimes you have to collect your samples from a different area on the plant, like the newest growth versus the oldest. And they can take dried samples too, right? Well, they have to dry down all their samples anyway. anyway so, okay. So it doesn't matter if it gets dried for them. So a plant, I think it, had, it has a disease. I put it in a Ziploc bag, close it up, and send it your way. Do I need to close it or leave it open? Does it need air? You need to close it so it doesn't get out in the mail. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you don't want it to explode inside the box. No. Nope. And go everywhere. No. Nope. Because y'all don't want to have plant confetti everywhere when you open the box. Exactly. Okay. But you can also take your samples to your regional extension agent, and they can take a look at them first. That's right. And then they can send them on to us if they don't know what's wrong with it. All of us took a couple of disease classes. And so we might be able, you know, and we all see a bunch of diseases all the time. So, you know, when you start seeing these things every year or mm -hmm. every other year, you kind of pick up on a few things. Mm -hmm. And we can nail some stuff down and save you a little bit of time for the big stuff. That's right. So speaking on the diseases... Can you explain the disease triangle to us? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you have uh, the different points of the disease triangle are a conducive environment for disease, a susceptible plant, and a viable pathogen. And so if you put like a little circle around each of those, only the very center of that is going to all touch. And that's kind of like the area where you get disease if you have all the right elements. So the reason we think about the disease triangle is to think about how to control diseases. Uh, so if you can alter one of those points on the triangle, you can stop the cycle of the disease, either by having a resistant plant or uh, eliminating the pathogen or manipulating the environment so that it's not favorable for the pathogen. Right. And some of these pathogens are here. They're ubiquitous. They're here all the time, everywhere. Yep. And so we have to do things to mitigate their survival. And using that d disease triangle example, we can maybe remove the host or change the host to resistant variety. Do you like to point to one of those in particular as opposed to the other? I would say probably the environment is uh, the easiest to manipulate. I'll give you an example. So we have Rhizoctonia solani, which is soil-borne fungus. It's ubiquitous in all soils. Um, it usually only causes a problem when the environment is favorable for the pathogen and not the plant. So if you're planting your crops out early and the soil's still cold and wet, uh, it's gonna inhibit growth of the plant, but the fungus is really gonna like that. So planting later to avoid that environmental condition will help uh, keep the plants healthier. And then just other small things, too. I mean, that's very helpful. I'm thinking of things like not walking in the field when it's been raining. Yeah. All the small little things that really make a big difference. Yeah, especially if you know you have a disease uh, and it's been raining. Usually um, fungi are about 80% of the diseases and fungi produce spores that typically sit on the outside of the plant. So as you walk through the crop, you'll pick them up on your clothing and you'll spread them throughout the entire planting. Yeah, people like to blame extension agents for spreading diseases around. You people know. like to blame diagnosticians for introducing <laughs> diseases. It's your fault. You found uh -huh. it. <laughs> That's funny. So there's a lot of tactics growers can use 
Uh, and it's little things like not going through the field when it's been pouring down rain and you know you have a, a disease because it's likely going to stick to something, your clothes or your tractor or whatever. I mean, you've already got to deal with wild animals going through there. Hopefully not, but probably so. They're going to help spread it. So we want to try to do our part in minimizing that spread. Critters as small as caterpillars or birds can spread pathogens around in a field. Those jerks. Yeah. What's the most fun disease you've found lately? Probably the Neopestalidiopsis in the strawberries. You really nailed down the pronunciation of it, too. <laughs> Just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> it does. Have they found any treatments for that yet? Not yet. Don't get it. Yeah, don't get it. Watch who you're buying from. I have seen some research where they are working with the actual industry itself, the people that are producing the plugs in, up in Canada, and they're trying to get them to adopt these um, chambers that have steam sterilization in them to sterilize their plants before they send them out. Because once they start producing them, they only test them for systemic pathogens once or twice in the life cycle of the plant, and then they plant them out into the field and still call them disease certified uh. free, right? So they're trying to push the whole industry to change the way that they are producing the plants. So you also offer nematode testing? Yes, we do. We have a uh, nematology lab. We usually process around 2,000 to 2,500 samples a year, again, for the same people that we process plant samples for diagnosis for. Um, and there's not really a whole lot you can do about nematodes, but we can give a preventative control recommendations for um, growers to use in the field. I mean, they're there, and I guess it is just learning how to live with them. Nematodes are the most abundant life form on Earth. They are all associated with specific things. They're not just there for the good of being there. So you would be able to identify where plants were if everything was taken off of the surface of the earth. So you get 2,000 nematode samples, right? So what percentage of those actually have nematodes? Usually almost all samples have nematodes of some sort. Okay. And usually all have plant parasitic nematodes. We don't identify the ones that are not plant parasitic because there's just too many nematodes out there. But sometimes we'll get some from nurseries that don't have anything in them. That's the only time they don't have anything in them. We only run those samples for phytosanitary certificate purposes. So if there's a quarantine, you know, somewhere out west for cyst nematode, we have to certify that it doesn't have cyst nematode in it. Right, okay, okay, that makes sense. We learned a lot. Thanks for coming on, Cassie. You're welcome. This has been a production of Alabama Extension at Auburn University.